It takes more than great code to be a great software engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, the podcast, episode 56. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a advice show where developers write in with questions and we provide answers, but nothing technical, strictly the soft side. It's also weird. We did a live show last week mm-hmm. and it's it's weird to be back in the comforting embrace of my screen away from people and the, and the, the solitude the embrace <laughs> of solitude yeah i think i forgot to have stage presence because i'm so used to recording this in my office and i can just like stare up at the ceiling while i think mm-hmm. so i probably weirded out a lot of people that were there but thank you all for coming <laughs> yeah it was a great show and uh i actually had a lot of fun and the audience participation was kind of cool too yeah we didn't even think about it but we just asked questions rhetorically and then people answered them. We're like, huh? Oh, good answer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> thanks. thanks. <laughs> well, I'll see if that works today right now. <laughs> just throw out an answer and maybe someone will pop their head into your office. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you want to read our first question, Dave? Yeah, sure. So, uh, here we go. It says lots of my meetings seem to have that one engineer who is dead set on pointing out esoteric error conditions that drag the meeting into a rabbit hole of unimportant discussions. How do I keep meetings on track while still balancing a healthy respect for the people who want to voice concerns? How do I do this without shutting down legitimate discussions and important cases? Case in point, twice this week I've been in a design review meeting where an engineer dominated about half the meeting with error cases that turned out to be unimportant. What's worse, this engineer is very experienced and has lots of influence. I heard other engineers complain later that the meeting time was wasted because we didn't get to discuss some of the most important parts of the design. I'm still pretty new, but I'm experienced enough to know that this engineer was wrong to drag the meeting into these rabbit holes. What should I do? I've talked about before how I'm famously grumpy and impatient in meetings. (laughs) So maybe if you just amp that up and just glare and just... I don't know. What a grumpy... Aren't there like little angry clouds over grumpy characters oh. in cartoons or... Get a cardboard cutout of an angry cloud and just hold it over your head? Yeah, hold it over your head or the anime teardrop. Is that when they're angry? <laughs> uh, that might be when they're surprised. Yeah, or happy. <laughs> yeah, that might be mixed messages. Anyways, just an aura of imminent violence. <laughs> That could solve your problem. I'm going to guess that if someone is derailing a meeting this bad, they're probably not paying attention to your aura. <laughs> <laughs> your aura isn't strong enough. In the book Snow Crash, one of the main characters has a giant tattoo on his forehead that says poor impulse control. Um, so maybe you need to do something like that. Say, like, hey, I'm capable of anything. If you bring up this little tiny linting error one more time in the meeting. Yeah. Your face will be a linting air. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, this is this is tricky because it depends on your role in the meeting. If you're a manager, it's a lot easier to feel like you can step in and, and ask people to keep it on track mm-hmm. without offending anyone. And even then, you still might offend someone, but there's at least some expectation of okay, like this person can do that. But if you're a team member or a junior team member or something, then. You might worry about people feeling like you're overstepping your bounds or something like that. Yeah, or maybe you're just wrong. Like maybe these are important rabbit holes that need to be gone down. You just don't have enough context to know what's important and what's not. Have you ever heard that rule? Well, rule is a strong word. Have you ever heard that guideline about good code where all of the code inside a method or a function is supposed to be at about the same level of abstraction? Nope. 
I only write well, terrible that's... code, so. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a thing. Uh, it, it, like if you have some code for reading and writing files, I don't know. It, it shouldn't be diving into like low-level bit twiddling and then file system manipulation. And, okay. I don't know. It should all be about the same level of abstraction and anything lower or higher should farm it out to a different function yeah, that, that you that call. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes so sense. So I think you can kind of apply that same principle to a meeting, that the meeting mm. should have a purpose and, and things related to that purpose should be at about the same level of abstraction. And if you dive really deep into something, that's a good sign that it needs to be in a different meeting oh, to not derail things too much. Does that concept of keeping things at a cohesive level of abstraction have a name? Probably. If it has a name, it would be so much more powerful to use in a meeting because you could say, hey, I think we've, we're violating the X principle. I can't tell if you know the name and you're trying to lead me to no, think no, I, I genuinely Remember five minutes uh, ago, I didn't even know what you were talking about. <laughs> That's uh, still <okay>. true. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it has a name. I just can't think of it. Uh, someone please tell us what the name is. Yeah, because but, you, you could drop that name. And, and even in the beginning of the meeting, you could set up a ground rule to say, hey, uh, for this meeting, we're going to abide by the X principle and we're going to keep the conversation at this level of abstraction. Yeah. And I don't know that that has to be an absolute rule. There might be some meetings where you say, we are going to solve this problem and we're going to go down as many rabbit holes as we need to solve it all the way. Sure, but sure. I think for well, most but, meetings, that's a pretty that, fair But in guideline. that case, you're just saying that for this meeting, we're going to go all the way down the abstraction stack. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, well, especially they mentioned a design review meeting, which I imagine has lots of different people in different roles. And sure, the deeper you rabbit hole on engineering stuff, the more people you're leaving out that don't understand or care about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're wasting more time. Yeah, I'm actually super sensitive to this. Um, when I start making comments in meetings, uh, I will often preface them with apologies. <laughs> do, you, do, do you ever do this where it's like, I'm really sorry if this is the wrong topic for this audience, but dot, dot, dot. And then I launch into my, my thing, right? And you um, just say it anyways. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's why I apologized. <laughs> it doesn't count. You apologize. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like if you put a comment above the function, it's like, hey, I know this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and then it, it counts as good code. The following is a hack. I apologize. Yep. <laughs> this is so maintainable. <laughs> Suddenly. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, that, that's what I do. And so I think, I think maybe some engineers are more sensitive to this than others. Because I, I could imagine other engineers... Well, I can't... I don't have to imagine. I've seen this. <laughs> it's like they have this notion that they're, they have discovered a hole that needs to be explored and solved. And, and it seems to be very important, but it turns out it's not, especially for this particular audience. Like it's very hard sometimes for some engineers to, uh, what's the word? Like balance the importance of the thing that they are bringing up against the particular audience that they're bringing it up with. Like, can these people actually solve this problem? Yeah. Yeah, we spend so much time thinking about the right way to do things and, and it can be easy to get stuck on the correct way, like capital C correct mm -hmm. and, and not think too much, like you said, about audience or about context or about the cost of correctness. Yeah. Yeah. I remember there's some little internal API thing that we were making at my, one of my first jobs and 
uh, someone submitted a pull request to change it. And I found some like little security bug that if two things happen within the same millisecond, then, mm-hmm. and like they had already hacked into our VPN and oh. a bunch of other <laughs> stuff. But <laughs> anyways, <laughs> under a very specific set of circumstances, like bad stuff could happen. And you probably felt very proud of yourself at that moment. I was moment, so right? proud. I was like, this cannot stand. It's irresponsible. <laughs> and, and to change it would have taken a lot of work. And I was, uh, correctly ignored, I believe. Like that, it doesn't matter. But, but I was, I, I felt myself get trapped by this idea of like, this is what is right. And people need to know. And, and it was not an effective use of my time. Yeah. That's true, but only in hindsight. Now I just ignore all security things yeah. so, <laughs> to avoid that problem. <laughs> you solved the meeting problem, though. <laughs> I, well, there are different meetings now. <laughs> security postmortems are a little different. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so do, do you think that the uh, when time elapsed for you, did it suddenly become less important? Like in hindsight, were you able to look back and say, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal? Uh. Yes, 100% that. Also, looking at wider um, pieces of the system or having responsibility for more people, I was able to recognize, like, I, I don't know, just help me put it into perspective. Like, we have the, bigger the issues to deal with than your, yeah. than your one millisecond hacked VPN security bug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if I mean good... there's there's a balance there because sometimes those are real very important things that pop up as little tiny things and then you realize nope this is a big deal but so not I, in that case I've seen this concept called a uh, parking lot in a meeting have you ever seen this uh uh-uh. uh so this is where like the meeting has a purpose I've seen it used in daily standups um, the meeting has a purpose in the case of standup you know you're sharing status you're identifying blockers and and other things and it's supposed to be pretty fast. But then if someone has a topic they want to go deep into, you have this thing called a parking lot and you just like write it on a whiteboard. You write the word parking lot. And then as people bring up topics or think of them, they just write, they would just walk over to the whiteboard and write them down. And then the meeting just progresses normally. And when you get through the main business of the meeting, then at the end you visit the parking lot and say, okay, what topics do we have? And I've noticed that sometimes people will write down a parking lot item, but then by the time the meeting is finished, uh, they'll, they're like, oh, never mind, that got resolved. You know, and it's like hmm. it just naturally happened uh, because that, you know, it was just going to happen anyway. And so we avoided derailing the meeting by simply making it a little bit more asynchronous and deferring, deferring the uh, basically we use lazy evaluation for meeting win. Yeah. OK, so so the parking lot is stuff that you think you want to talk about, but you're going to hold it until mm-hmm. the end. Exactly. Okay, so so people aren't like responding to what you write with answers. They're just adding more topics when they yeah, go yeah, write Yeah, it's stuff. just a list of topics. Okay, interesting. And I was thinking maybe you could even impose your own little personal parking lot where maybe an issue occurs to you in a meeting, and rather than raising your hand and speaking out right away, you just write it down on your notes and wait, make sure that five minutes go by before you bring it up. After five minutes, if it still seems like a pressing concern, then maybe it's worth bringing it up to the meeting group, you know, like a self-imposed cool down period. Yeah. How will people know that you're smart and important, though, if you don't <laughs> stand up and interrupt them with your concerns? I, I think you may have just found the crux of what's actually going on in this caller situation. <laughs> um, 
There, there is this, this idea. In fact, I was reading an article just yesterday that said like how to, um, oh, what was it? It was like how to participate in meetings. And one of the objectives was to make yourself look smart. Like the author just came right out and, and said it. And I just kind of. I mean, props to them for admitting what everyone <laughs> thinks already. <laughs> That's true, right? Like on the one hand, good, congratulations. But on the other hand, like it just made me feel a little bit sick because it was like, what is the purpose of a meeting really? Is it just a bunch of engineers who are on the same team to come together and, and uh, like one up each other with how smart they are? Or are you really trying to solve a problem? Like what, where's the focus? Yeah. So that made me sad. A lot of these suggestions um, would be easier to implement if if you're in a position of authority. You can just say, hey, we're keeping this meeting at the same level of abstraction. Yeah. We have a parking lot for ideas at the end that don't fit into the agenda. Uh, please give it five minutes or whatever. I mean, what do you do if, if you're just a humble, everyday team member mm-hmm. and you see this derailing happening? You just get up and leave. You just walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it, or flip the table on your way out and then, you know, just to make sure people oh, know. I thought you were going to say flip the situation and take the other person out. <laughs> just stand them up and so march I, them out of the room. Okay, so let's say you're, you're a humble engineer. Maybe you're a little less tenured than the other people in the meeting. Mm-hmm. This is where you employ, in my opinion, the tactic of the question. Where you ask, mm. like, hey, is this, like, basically you're just trying to baseline. Hey, is this normal? Like trying to come across as you're curious if this is how things are supposed to go and you can use your newness, your new status to um, kind of play dumb a little bit. And like, maybe it's really clear to you that this meeting is off track, but if you just ask the question like, Hey, is this the right topic? Like, are are we, are we doing what we need to do here? Just want to make sure I understand, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. suddenly people might get introspective and go, Oh yeah, you're right. We're, we're off track. Instead of asserting it, right? You ask it. Yeah, you got to be a little more indirect. Maybe. I mean, it sucks that it is that way, but <laughs> I think people respond yeah. better when you ask rather than just like saying, you're off task. Yeah, I, th- I think that could definitely work, especially if uh feels like this kind of thing happens a lot with kind of the, the alpha engineer types mm-hmm. where they're smart and sometimes difficult to work with. And so you might have to mm-hmm. handle the situation delicately. You might also just be able to say like, hey, I feel like this is off task. Some companies have a culture where um, everyone participates at kind of the same level in meetings. Mm-hmm. And there's not like the boss meeting runner person. It's just everyone gives feedback and, and gives input. And then you might you might just be able to say, hey, can we do this a different time and focus on the main thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, did we answer it? Um, I think so. It's hard. It's a hard situation, but yeah, solvable, solvable with the right, right level of rage. Yes. With the right level of rage and facial tattoos. All right. Question (laughs) Question answered. answered. I will read the next question. I have worked for several agencies with very designer centric cultures. In these cultures, developers are treated as second class citizens reduced to digital construction workers whose concerns on the product are not given the same consideration as those of the designers. 
I believe much of this to be subconscious, and I do not like to think of us as warring parties, but I really don't enjoy when my concerns as an engineer are not given their proper weight in collaboration. I strive to be upfront when pointing out significant technical challenges, but also gain little to no traction. I have failed so often that I have learned the most effective method for moving a designer off of a bad idea is to build the broken idea and let them use it. Once they see and experience the broken idea, they generally change position and the product gets better. I've found no better strategy for handling this situation. My question to you is how do you handle this? Matt, that is like maximum passive aggressive, right? Ultimate maximum passive aggressiveness would be to purposefully build a broken version of an idea that could work because you don't like it. <laughs> okay, good point. And then point. say like, yep. hey, look, it's, it's broken. <laughs> this is like one step away from that. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> uh... That must feel awful so, to build something that you know isn't going to work, but you just kind of have oh, to crank yeah. it out anyway. Yeah, that's, yeah, you just doomed work. This is not completely doomed because it's theoretically helping make the product better, but. Yeah, but it's just feel, it's like a lot more effort than you think it should be put in. Because you yeah, could just say, yeah. hey, it's not going to work. <laughs> or I could spend two weeks building it and show you. Yeah. So I've never worked at a place like this where design um, felt like it ran the company and the developers were second-class citizens. I have worked at places where everyone besides the developers were second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. And it sucked. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I I get the impression that's pretty common, actually. Yeah, me too. I don't know what to do about it, but it feels weird. Um, So I I guess the point is... uh, Welcome to the rest of people's jobs in the tech industry. <laughs> this so, is how like sales and marketing and and QA and support all feel at tech companies. Just soak it up and develop the empathy so that later when you're on the other side of the equation, you aren't a scumbag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure, medium sure, that the design team is not actively trying to be scummy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, how do I put this? I feel like I've seen situations like this where um, there's some conflict between two groups in the company. And and I would suspect that design has some complaints about engineering. Like your complaints are they don't listen to our product ideas. And so we do extra work. And I, I bet there's also some complaints about how, I don't know, the, the engineering team never builds the right thing that we tell them to build or they, mm-hmm. they push back and make us take too much time because we have to go through all these cycles or something. But I feel like there's, there's kind of this communication mismatch where, uh, it sounds like you have tried already to just say, Hey, I would like to give more feedback earlier in the process. And they just might've said no, or not done it, Mm -hmm. but it still feels like there might be some room to sit down and say, how do you feel about engineering? How, how, how do you feel about working with us? What is upsetting to you and, and have, an open conversation about it. And as part of that, you could share this feeling. Um, if the goal is to build better stuff faster, it takes a long time to build an idea completely, even though you know it's going to be broken and have all these problems. So mm-hmm. you could save a lot of time if you give feedback earlier. And there's probably some things that you could do that would make design happier also. So there's some kind of give and take there. Yeah, yeah. If you discover their their issues, they might be more motivated to um, 
to respond positively to your suggestions. Yeah, totally. I I have seen this uh, this kind of situation where I've been in the engineering shoes and I've been working with a designer. The designer gave me some mock-ups or some wireframes, and I like I immediately latch on to a problem that I that will cause a usability issue. And the designer is working at like a very high level of abstraction usually. Like user goes here, user goes there, then this happens. You know, and and I'm thinking, okay, well what if that first step goes wrong? Uh then the second step needs to change in these three different ways, you know? And the designer just hasn't really considered that. And so to me it, it's like it, it comes to my mind immediately, right? And I start identifying all these problems. And sometimes I think I get impatient with people because I don't like the idea is fully formed in my own head, but I haven't taken the time to really explain it in a way that will be concrete and clear for the designer. And that may be the situation here, especially since uh, this listener has gone to the extent of actually building the broken thing to show them. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you do need to show them, but maybe you could show them in a way that doesn't take the full project time to show them the broken thing, you know, like, whip out a quick yeah. prototype, maybe do some pictures, you know, who knows. But make it concrete because sometimes this feedback will be clear in your mind, but it's just not clear in the other people's mind. Yeah, that that makes sense. And and that could help build up more trust too. If you do that enough times mm-hmm. faster, then they might start to require less upfront effort to prove that your concerns are valid. Yeah, exactly. And And maybe... So, like, I was thinking to myself, well, why don't they prototype this? And, you know, maybe the designers should be prototyping. And then I thought, maybe this developer is the prototyper. So, like, maybe the designers are coming to you with this expectation that you'll whip it out quickly and then mm-hmm. any problems will become obvious and then they'll iterate on the design. So, like, maybe from their perspective, mm-hmm. everything is working perfectly. <laughs> you know, you yeah. just don't realize that you actually are a prototyper, not a product developer. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, that's another argument for sitting down and talking about this explicitly i i love that this question asker said they don't like to think of us as warring parties because it's so easy to just put up your walls and i don't know form your tribe and say engineering is being stymied by the designers who don't respect us and then you grumble about it among yourselves and then you hear the designers grumbling about it and suddenly there's politics and you're not working well together so I love that instinct to avoid that because yeah, it's good. I, I think it's uh, it's not the default. It, it w- will require active effort, but if you can do it, you'll work so much better together if you have more trust between the two groups. Yeah. So at a, at a previous job, I actually had uh, a little bit of a similar situation. And what happened was product managers and UX designers would crank out these really high-fidelity mock-ups and wireframes. And then as developers, we would just sit back and build them, you know, pixel for pixel. And, like, they would be super proud if we cranked out a pixel-perfect implementation of their designs. Like, it was, they were just so happy with that. And so we got this incentive system where our job, where we were rewarded, was to crank out something that exactly replicated what they came up with. And, mm. and, and it got a little bit of a, of a vicious cycle because we turned off our critical thinking skills and we got to the point where we were just building exactly what they said, because that was both the least friction and had the highest rewards because we were both, you know, really happy with the outcome. Um, but we just stopped giving critical feedback in the early design phases. And, uh, I think in the end, the product suffered as a result of it because we kind of shut off, shut that off. Hmm. 
I've uttered the phrase uh, like assembly line programming or something like that, yeah, where you exactly. just take or, Trello or feature factories cards off a board, or yeah, yeah, in a negative light. But it also does sound comforting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there's a very clear marker for success, which is not is the product doing well with users, is the company doing well. It's like, am I completing these very clear tasks fast? Yeah, yeah. Like, does the product match the spec? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a lot easier to measure than like are we making money yeah or do people like it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i remember yeah, so that I, one point there was a bug that a, a customer reported and i went back at the product spec and i was like nope the spec says it's supposed to work that way so you can't log this as a bug in our bug tracker you have to make it a feature request <laughs> uh, i probably you did defeated that, a dozen that times. customer yes we win <laughs> <laughs> gotcha <laughs> that is the worst <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely a lot more effort and not every engineer has to be super product focused, but I think an engineering organization should be product focused overall, which requires uh, better communication because you, if you're going to give critical feedback, you have to make sure that people aren't offended and that they understand how to take it. And I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah. It's just more complex, but it feels like it results in better products. I don't have any hard data on that. It just sounds better. Sounds good. Feels good. Must be true. Yeah. When, yeah, when my I gut talk, says it's right. <laughs> Your gut does pretty good things, though. I'll be honest. I mean, it digested half a pound of popcorn yesterday. That's, so. uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's doing well. <laughs> <laughs> when when I talked to my former engineering leadership about this like feature factory situation that I thought we were in, you know, they were like aghast. You know, like no engineers have valuable input into this process and we absolutely should not have them shutting down their critical thinking skills just because a product manager or ux designer has presented like a high fidelity design instead they should absolutely be critical and um help contribute to this design process and and i would bet that in this situation even though you're at an agency if you went to leadership you might be surprised to hear their opinion on the situation um, that's a conversation i would have like i would say what do you see the role of designers and what do you see the role of engineers? Do you see engineers as implementing the designs or collaborating with the designers to build the best product? Some of it might depend on the kind of agency as well. There are some agencies that do um, marketing sites or mm -hmm. they're, they're a lot more uh, content focused. And then there are some agencies that do more kind of contract product development. And it feels like the back and forth iteration between design and, and engineering is a lot more important in while still valuable in kind of the content site model, it feels a lot more valuable in the product development model. Yeah. Yeah. You're Where if right. you're trying to build a better product faster for a client, uh, it, it could save you money and you could have higher margins and, and mm -hmm. get a better reputation and stuff. But if, if you're trying to make pretty things quickly, um, then, then design kind of does run the show there. <laughs> yeah, and that could be the case here. Yeah. In which yeah. case, you could apply the soft skills engineering, <laughs> go to advice, quit your job and get a new one. One question I have, having never worked at an agency, is what what do you like about it? Um, I, I would love to hear this from listeners who've worked at these kind of design-focused agencies because it seems like it would be hard to get satisfaction in lots of small tight deadlines of like we got six weeks to crank out this thing for a movie launch and then we're building this new site for an e-commerce 
company and mm-hmm. uh like fast iterations high pressure it just seems unsatisfying to me but I, there's got to be something interesting and exciting about it yeah i don't know um i think some people use it as a stepping stone um like it's not a permanent position for them it's like maybe. training maybe yeah like i mean it is a really good way to learn how to ramp up on projects quickly and just crank them out so that's true you know, there's that um, but yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't personally know any developers who work long term at an agency, and, and the stories that I have heard involve a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. And even yeah, maybe for designers like, too, for that matter. Maybe it's like boot camp for for designers and developers, where you just push really hard, and then everything afterwards is easier. But I don't know because I've never done it. Uh, have we answered this question? I think so. Okay, what was our answer? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think back. <laughs> basically, I got distracted I, by my bootcamp analogy. I, I think there's a few parts. Like, first of one is, um, try to find more concrete, clear ways to express your concerns with the design earlier in such a way mm-hmm. that the designers can understand them without having to go through the whole build of the product. Yeah, like lower the cost of building that prototype that shows them your concerns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then the second one is talk to your leadership and see if this is actually the relationship that they want. Um, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And that'll tell you a lot about what you should expect. Yeah. I think the third one is you want to develop trust with the design team. And so you might need to explicitly sit down and discuss this as a problem and, and figure out what their problems are also. Yeah. I think if you do that, it might, it might unlock some issues that you can resolve that will help make the situation better yeah okay we have answered the question question answered where can people go if they want their questions answered dave they can go to softskills.audio our home on the web where you can ask a question by clicking on the ask a question button you can fill out as much or as little detail as you want we have been getting inundated with questions actually the last couple of weeks so sorry if you haven't heard from us uh we (laughs) we're trying to process the backlog but um, it's actually a lot. So that's a great problem to have. And we're super happy to hear all these crazy, awesome questions. Also follow us on Twitter at SoftSkillsENG and tell your friends. And we have stickers. If you want some, just send us your mailing address. You can send us like a post office box or something if you don't want us to know where you live, which I totally understand. <laughs> 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 and we'll, we'll mail them to you. We, I sent out a batch of uh, stickers last week, actually, and we'd be happy to send you some more. And you can put these on your laptop or on your face. And um, anywhere, yeah, you, anywhere you They're want. They're really sticky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they literally stick to things. They stick good. <laughs> and uh, and you know you can hand them out to your friends. Maybe you run a meetup and you want to hand them out. That's that's cool. So just let us know, and we'd be happy to send them to you. All right, we'll catch you next week. Thanks. Bye.